and today we want to talk about an important, um, an important topic, which is uh, sometimes understated. Uh, but it's the um, it's the topic of listening. Listening. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about it. Um, listening applies to uh, every relationship that we are part of. It has to do with um, communication in every facet of life, including our marriage, parenting, friendship, um, interfaith dialogue. <coughs> it's interesting because I was reading something on social media and uh, a certain group uh, misrepresented the Coptic Church and, and I felt like we, we've been trying to clarify this for years now and that the problem is that there isn't communication where people are actually listening to what we're saying. People are making assumptions about what it is that we believe despite of us making corrections and saying this is where we stand. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that, the importance of actually listening uh, to what people say and how important that is in all facets of life, from parenting to marriage to service. Um, and especially listening when stakes are high. If you're having an important conversation and there, there's, there's high stakes on the line, uh, your friendship, your marriage, your company, uh, listening is absolutely crucial uh, and we'll talk about what it is uh, and why it's so hard sometimes for us to actually do it in a way that's competent and effective. Okay, so why is listening so hard? I mean, most of us, we, um, we communicate every day, right? From the, the minute that we wake up uh, till we go to bed, we're talking with people, we're communicating. Uh, we should all be experts uh, at listening. But I'll tell you something. What's the number one reason why couples go to therapy? It accounts for 85% of reason why couples go to therapy. What do they say? We're here to work on our communication. So it's something seems so basic, sometimes even so trivial, and yet 85% of the people are going to therapy to say, we, we are here to work on our communication. So a lot of what I'm gonna say might be common sense, but in its application, it requires a lot. So we'll talk about why that is. Listening at the heart of it is linked to the heart. That's why the Lord said, hearing you will hear and not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and you will not perceive. Why? Because the heart has gone dull. So Christ um, is diagnosing this and saying, 
we have a hard time listening because we have a problem with the heart. We have a problem with the heart. So listening uh, and our is deeply connected to our spiritual condition, our spiritual life. Um, if, we if we struggle with certain passions, like selfishness, like judgment, like criticizing others, like contempt. Remember, we talked a little bit about contempt. It's not only like judging you, but judging you while looking down on you. You're kind of like n of non-importance, right? Contempt, that's the one, uh, number one reason why people actually divorce is contempt. Um, apathy, I just don't have, I don't really care. I don't really care enough to care about what it is that you're saying or what it is that you're needing or what it is that you're feeling. Apathy. So, um, so the reason why we can't be wholeheartedly attentive and present with someone else because the heart might be sick, right? So Christ himself, uh, the author of life, true light of true light, true God of true God, comes among the people and uh, speaks the word of life, word of truth, and people say, ah, rubbish. I don't like this. I don't like what he's saying. Right? Because the heart is sick. The heart needs cleansing. The heart needs transformation. So, how is it that we can truly listen when it actually counts? And it always counts, right? Because every time uh, my spouse is communicating with me, and I'm inattentive, it, um, th there's like a drop in the bucket. And when that bucket gets full, um, there's a lot of trust loss. Um, so when we are inattentive and not listening to people in our life, uh, it's easy for people to feel dismissed, to feel that they're not important, to feel that they lack value, to feel that they're not loved. And I suspect one of the greatest gifts that Christ had was his attentiveness to people, right? He's in the crowd and he feels someone touched him, right? And he says, I, I, someone touched me. Someone said something. I noticed someone. His attentiveness, his perceptivity to others. I would suggest that his heart is probably in the right place. Um, so if we are to say, like, all right, I really want to be a good listener, where do I start? Um, we start by a radical uh, conviction that everybody uh, is the icon of God. Every human being is the icon of Christ. My wife is an icon of Christ. My, my two-year-old daughter is an icon of Christ. If I um, am disrespectful, dismissive, um, I am tarnishing 
the icon of Christ. I am dishonoring the icon of Christ. And so um, uh, I quoted here Genesis. So God uh, created a man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, and if we wanted to go off on a tangent, uh, which I probably shouldn't, uh, but th this is really the root of uh, what we would uh, say our, our self-worth self lies in that we are created in the image and likeness of God. And we always hold these two polarities, by the way. We're deeply flawed, sinful people, and we were bought with the blood of Christ. The, the Christian that can balance these two extreme ideas um, is really, really grounded and rooted in truth. And if we want to talk to our kids about so-called self-esteem, this is where it lies. The fact that you can see yourself as deeply flawed and hold yourself in high regard, not because of something independent that you possess, but that the blood in which Christ sheds to by your love. Um, so that's the first thing, is that we have to truly believe that those we encounter are icons of Christ. Uh, everybody that we encounter is an icon of Christ. So being present with another person it means that I am to um, honor the person, empty myself. Uh, this idea of emptying oneself, uh, you notice if you are truly listening to someone, you have to let go of your lofty ideas. You have to let go of, uh, I'm really hungry right now. Should I eat this or should I eat that? Um, you have to let go of, I need to be heard. I want my experience to actually be heard in this moment. I have to let go of that. Uh, I, I wanting, I'm wanting reassurance from you. I have to let go of that. This is why listening is actually an ascetical struggle. It's, it's, it, it, it's, um, it's actually astonishing that we don't take this as a practice during Lent, but also just as a practice during our whole life. Uh, to be attentive to someone else and truly listen, you have to negate, you have to let go of so much of what's going on inside of you. What do I want? What do I think? Oh, my creative ideas. Do I want to eat? Oh, what am I going to do tomorrow? All of that has to be put aside if you are to truly attend to the person in front of you. Um, and then one of the things that we do is that we humbly enter into the space, the world of the person who's communicating. So Bob... Bob says, hey, Sam, um, can I meet with you for coffee? I'm really having a hard time. And I say, yeah, sure, Bob. Let's meet for coffee. I have no idea what hard time means for Bob, right? And so if I sit down and I have a 
a cup of coffee with Bob, I humbly enter into a realm of unknown. So Bob can say something of like, there's atrocious suffering for Bob. Bob just got diagnosed with cancer, his mom just died and he lost his job and there's just tremendous suffering. And then I have to be there for it. So to listen then in that moment would be to open myself up to the suffering of Bob, to be there with Bob. And to recognize that I'm not gonna solve Bob's problem. <laughs> you know, the dead is not coming back. I'm not giving him a new job. I'm not healing his cancer. That's not what's being required. And this, especially this, makes us very uncomfortable. To be able to be with the struggles or the suffering of someone else and to do nothing about it, but to open yourself up to it. To just open yourself up to it. To say, this is what's happening with you. I'm here with you in it. Help me to understand it more. And you're there in it. This is called vulnerability because vulnerability means a, a willingness to be wounded. Because you opened yourself up to be in the presence of suffering. Is this, could this burn you? Could you walk away from this conversation feeling deep emotional pain? Absolutely. Are you, are you consciously, deliberately opening yourself up to experience this pain? Let me go off on a tangent. Uh, when people get married, sometimes even especially men, who are not uh, emotionally, psychologically mature, and they're married and a year goes by, two years go by, five years go by, and perhaps their wife brings them something. Maybe it's the first time they experience miscarriage. And the wife says to her, we lost the baby, right? And the, the husband realizes something tragic has happened, something very painful has happened. And if he's not able to stand in the discomfort in the pain of his spouse, knowing that he can't fix it, he can't say anything to make it better, but to sit in it, to sit in the discomfort in a way that's loving, that's supportive, and that's humble, and to stay in the discomfort. If he's never had training prior to marriage to knowing how to sit in difficult, emotional, difficult time, right, he has to flee. He's going to either flee emotionally, flee psychologically. He's going to drown himself in work, right? Because it's overwhelming for him. And this is why we have to take small steps to learning how to be present with people. In the good, in the happy moments, in the fun times, and also in times where it really, really counts. And we have to train ourselves. And it's difficult, very difficult and we have to take steps towards learning it. So this is what I mean. We humbly enter into the space, the realm of someone else, not knowing what's there, not knowing. Sometimes we know, right? So sometimes we say, so-and-so just passed away. Uh, they departed, and now we're going to their house. Now we're meeting with them. So you have a sense of what they're going through. 
maybe, slightly, do you have a sense? And you're entering into that realm. So, if we are to take this seriously and we want to have connection with others and be present with others, we have to be attentive to not interrupting, not assuming, not defending, not contending, and not advising. I like... Sometimes, um, you know, I ask my wife, if you're going to share something with me, preface it. Say, I, I, I'd like to vent, I need your advice, or I want to discuss something with you. Because I, I don't want to give advice if she just wants to vent, right? So oftentimes if she's venting, and I have all these ideas about, oh, these are ways you could potentially solve the problem. If she's not asking for advice, it is absolutely unhelpful to offer any advice. And so making that distinction, sometimes it's clear. Or if I think that she's just venting and I just say, yeah, it sounds like that was really, you had a really hard day. It must have been really tough. Right? And she's wanting advice, then she might say, okay, yes, and <laughs> what do you think I should do? Uh, so sometimes it's helpful for us to be able to preface conversation with our, uh, with our spouse, our significant other, and to say, hey, you know, I, um, first we take permission. Is this a good time for me to talk to you? Uh, there's some like, stuff that's heavy, heavy for me, and I want to talk about it. Really wanting an event, not so much to solve the problem, because a lot of us, we sometimes know, like, this is a problem that falls in the unsolvable problem realm. Maybe it's someone at my work and they have a personality issue. I'm not going to solve that. I'm just going to cope with it. And so I don't need someone to advise me on how to deal with it. I just want to be able to get it off my chest, for example. And so sometimes being able to clarify that, right, to clarify that. Um, So the question is, thank you, the question is, um, what if the speaker doesn't quite know the direction that they want to go into or their intention of having the conversation? They, f they feel upset about something and they bring it up. They're not quite sure if they want feedback, they want advice, they just want to vent. Uh, and that happens a lot. I, I mean, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I want, right? Still the same. <laughs> We're attending to that person, so my lofty ideas, my thoughts, my, my, my need to eat, my, my schedule, all of that has to be put aside and I attend to, to the person. And we'll talk more deeply about what it is that we're attending to. Um, you know, sometimes in conversation, people are, are listening in for something uh, surprising or something um, uh, extraordinary uh, but I suggest that we're, we're, we're listening in primarily for the emotional experience and for some central ideas 
And so if I come to you and I say, yeah, you know, this morning on the way to church, you know, uh, my kids, they took forever, it took forever getting them ready. And then on the way back, like I had a flat tire and it took me forever to change the tire. And, and, and you listen in to just the, 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 the content and you say, oh yeah, there's this book on parenting and you know, you should get triple A. You missed the whole essence of the conversation because the whole essence of the conversation is saying, I'm really struggling. And what I wanted you to see was that I'm really struggling. And maybe um, that could be captured by you saying, wow, you really had a hard time. You're really struggling this morning. Tell me more. You know, that's enough to, for us to really connect. Um, and to be able to create some space to open that up when you say, tell me more. Um, so, I didn't print out the slides, so I'm going to move this over here. Um, so if we're looking at like the anatomy of listening, what, what really happens? Uh, number one, I have to have a desire, a, a, a certain cu curiosity to want to know the other person and want to know about the life of the other person. This is why oftentimes we have very superficial conversation. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Great. See you later. Um, it's because there isn't a deep yearning curiosity to know the other person to know the life of the other person. And the early church was never that way. It was people opening their house, inviting other people in, and sharing their lives together. That's why the church was so powerful. Um, but also opening yourself up to the other person, allowing people to see you. So if, if someone says, how are you? And I say, I'm doing fine, everything is fine, everything is good. There's, there's a certain aspect of self-protection and closing myself off, right? Maybe I don't know you enough. Maybe I don't trust you enough. Maybe I don't know how to express kind of what's happening in my life. Um, but we both have to desire a sense of connection and a sense of sharing our lives with one another for us to really have a connection and have a, a, a more in-depth conversation. The last two I would say are specific to uh, like couples conversation. And I put, I put down a love that will, will bear all things and does not seek its own. Because sometimes there's difficult conversation, right? My, my wife says, I need to talk to you. I need you to give you some feedback about kind of uh, how you were, how I experienced you this morning. So the, the love that bears all things means that I'm going to actually listen to it even when it's really uncomfortable. When she said, I was reaching for you and you weren't there, I was wanting help and you weren't there, I, I was really overwhelmed and I needed you and you weren't there for me. To be able to actually give her the space to actually say those things. And to not, now again, if the heart is not... If the heart is not grounded, what's gonna, the first thing out of my mouth is going to be defensiveness. 
Well, you didn't tell me. I didn't, I didn't know that. You should, I'm not a mind reader. I mean, you should have said something. You should have asked. And I was busy doing other things. That's me not tolerating. Uh, remember that balance that we're deeply flawed and highly esteemed because we're loved by God? I've let go of the part that I'm deeply flawed and said, oh, it sounds like my wife is saying that I did something wrong. I need to defend myself because my worth depends on this. Right? So those are the moments where I have to say, okay, get over yourself. You're deeply flawed. Yes, you messed up. Own it uh, and attend. Attend to her. Okay. When listening is effective, so our heart is set right, our intention is set right. You know, I tell people, sometimes people with like anxiety or social anxiety, they'll say like, going to a social function gives me a lot of anxiety. And one of the things that I say to people is, set your intention on your way to that group gathering. What's your intention? If it's just to be there, you're going to be full of angst and anxiety. If your intention is really to know somebody, to connect with someone, to know the life of someone else, um, you, you'll be more centered on that, on the other person and not the monkeys that are uh, swinging from tree to tree inside your head. And so setting our intention is really helpful. If my spouse says, hey, I, I'd like to sit down and talk to you, there's a second where I should set intention for myself. My spouse wants to talk to me. There's something important. Be open, be humble, be attentive, attend. That's what should go on for us. Not here she goes again. She's going to criticize. I need to defend myself. I need to show her where she has been wrong so we could kind of equal the field a little bit. So when listening is effective, we're building connection, we're deepening established relationship, we're clarifying misunderstanding. I want to talk more about this clarifying misunderstanding. Um, we're being a healing presence to someone who's hurting. Sometimes, uh, you know, like the example of someone who's diagnosed with cancer, someone who had a family member pass away, and we join with them, and we do it we do it effectively, and they say, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much this meant to me. But you did nothing. You, you didn't bring the dead back. You didn't uh, cure their cancer. But there was a loving connection that was heartfelt and that was soothing and that was comforting and that brought love, and that in itself was a beautiful present that the person experienced. Here's, uh, here's what I want to say about uh, clarifying uh, misunderstanding. One of the things that we could learn from, um, from debates, if you ever watch a debate, there, there's one part of the debate I wish we could extract and make it just part of our everyday uh, conversations. So let's say there's a debate uh, between two people. Uh, an atheist and a theologian, a theist. 
right? Before, uh, before the theologian defends his position on the existence of God, he needs to do something very important or the conversation doesn't go on. What is that thing that he needs to do before the conversation continues? What is it? Listen. Yes, listen. But he needs to do something verbally, which is what? Someone is saying something, but you got to speak up. Oh, my goodness. Beautiful. What's your name? What's your name? Mariam. You're brilliant. Thank you. So let me repeat what Mariam said. So the theologian is going to stand up, and he's going to say, my opponent, uh, David Hume, who's a big atheist, his position as I understand it, is this, that if God is uh, all-loving and God is all-powerful and there exists evil in the world, um, therefore an all-loving, all-powerful God cannot exist. And then he turns to his opponent. Did I get this right? And he says, yeah, that's fair enough. Is there more? Yes, there, there is more. Oh, d do add. Also, there's a cultural component to this idea of God. That's, there's a cultural context to it so that the God in the West is different from the God in the East. And so, Okay, so my opponent is saying that a God who is all loving and all uh, just cannot exist with an evil world and that the idea of God is all, also culturally dependent. Did I get this right, Dr. David? Yes, you did. Okay, now I can present my perspective. Why? Why is this crucial? Why is this important? Why is it important for us to do this in marriage, in, in our communication with our spouse? Why is this important? What's that? <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's not even about intention. I, I don't know what the intention is in this kind of exchange between these two people. Maybe my, my intention is to obliterate them, hopefully, in the, in the debate. But, um, but that's, that, it's not so much about intention, but w what is it about? Huh? Miriam, you, 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 you continue to... Um, just surprise me with your brilliance. Um, yes, we need to know what it is that we're arguing about. If the theologian gets up and says, this atheist is wrong, I say, what is he wrong about? Well, he's just wrong. He doesn't believe in God. That's not what he said. Well, he, he's wrong because he doesn't believe in God. Yes, but that's not what he said. He did not say that he does not believe in God. So now reassert the argument again. Do you know how many times that happens uh, among couples? Where the spouse says, that's not what I'm saying. You're not listening to what I'm saying. You, you're assuming that you know what I'm saying and you're defending against it, but that's not what I'm saying. And this is really hard because 
again, this goes to the ascetical struggle of I put my own thoughts aside, my assumptions aside, my feelings aside, and I actually attend to what it is that the person's actually saying. There's a, I, I'll end with this, because I know I went over time. Um, so we're setting the heart right, we're setting attention, we're attending to the person, we're actually listening to what they're saying. And one of the core things that we're doing is we're looking for the emotional experience. You know, as I was doing this, I thought about really beautiful people who came in my life years ago. And I tried to remember certain conversation that we've had, but I didn't. The only thing that I could remember are emotions that I experienced then, 15, 20, 25 years ago. This is what happens with us. If you say there was someone really, really special in my life that came and left and, and so on, and I say, oh, what, what did he say? What did she say to you? You're like, I don't really remember the details of it. But I remember how my heart felt. It was so full of warmth and love and connection. And I deeply remember that. This came up for me as I was preparing this talk. Um, and the reason why is because when someone is sharing something with us, it's probably the emotional experience that has the, the most kind of registered impact on the person. And it's our job to try to understand that. Not change it, not fix it, not cure it, just to understand it. And then in words, express that understanding. So an example of this would be, you know, someone who says, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I had a work meeting and I had a PowerPoint presentation with 250 people present and I was supposed to give this presentation and I blanked. And I knew nothing. I couldn't say anything. I, I, I didn't remember anything. Uh, nothing. And as you're hearing this, you're just attending to the person and you're thinking, what possibly could this per person have experienced emotionally? And then you share that with them. See, this experience was so terrifying and, and, and made you feel an incredible amount of shame, is what I'm hearing. Is that, is that what happened, George? He says, yeah, it was so embarrassing. Tell me more. That's the step into the discomfort. You're talking about shame. You're talking about embarrassment. I'm not going to run. I'm going to step into it. Tell me more. And so he tells you a little bit more about the details of that encounter. And then again, we attend to that emotional experience of the person. All right, I want to respect your time. I, we could, uh, there's much more to say on this topic, but uh, before I stop, any uh, thoughts, corrections, uh, comments, questions? Yes, Henry. 
about your wife? Yeah, um, so the question is, I have a natural tendency to problem solve. And a lot of people are like that. We're very pragmatic. We listen to hear the problem and already we're, um, we're exploring possible solutions to the problem as we listen. And as soon as the person stops speaking, we go, okay, I have at least three solutions to this issue, right? <laughs> so I think in some gentle way we can we can be um, playful with it, you know. I, you can you can say something like, "Hey, you know how my mind works, and right now my mind is going into problem-solving mo mode." But I sense that that might not be what you're needing. And she says, "Uh-uh, great. I'm glad. I'm glad I checked in with you, because you're not a mind reader, and a lot of times we have to check in with each other." Uh, I'm glad you told me that, and so then. It doesn't matter what brilliant ideas you have. You have to let go of them. You must let go of them. Even Christ, when he gave his recommendations, because the people didn't want to hear it, it, it landed on the wayside and the thorns. And so it doesn't matter what you have to say. Even if you were Christ, it, will not, it would not be helpful. And you really need to believe that. And then let go, suspend these ideas, and then just attend to that person. Um, and usually, like, internally, if you're just so hurt, it's too early to move to problem solving. You just want to patch your wounds. And if we give people the, the time to patch their wounds, then they'll come and say, all right, we've got to figure this stuff out. Like, give me some ideas. And then that's where you go. That's like my domain <laughs> is to give ideas, right? Yeah, I, I just want to say that that's something that we all struggle with, so uh, join the club. All right, anyone else? Yes. Oh, uh, yes, I remember. Um, um, well, so sometimes, um, sometimes relationships can be in a really, really vulnerable place. Let's say there was repeated, repeated hurt within a marriage, within a friendship, within uh, a business partner. And now we're going to have a conversation that we know we disagree on. You're walking into this conversation knowing that the stakes are really, really high. In other words, if this conversation goes south, the, the, to repair it is not going to be easy, simple, or quick. And so doing what we talked about with the debate is really, really helpful. Being able to set aside your agenda, check in with your heart, Make sure that you could have a positive mental image of the per person you're talking about. I talked about this last time. If I'm approaching my, my spouse, my partner, my friend, and I'm thinking, you're irresponsible, you have poor time management, you're, ir you're immature, 
you're not going to have an effective conversation. You need to go to to God and pray. Lord, help me to build a, a, a healthy, positive image of my spouse. Help me to see the icon that resides in him, in her. And only then can you go. And then the next step would be, do you really understand what it is that they're upset about? Do you really understand their position? And, and, and to take off in that crucial conversation, to take off problem solving. So a, cu- a couple are, are having contention, contentious argument. Are the in-laws going to stay in our house or not? And, and we both heard our position a thousand times already. In this conversation, I really want to understand why this is so important for you. And I want us to hold off on, on reaching a resolution today. So there is the intention. I just want to understand your position. I don't know if that answered your question, but I would say that's the starting point. Uh, Thoughts, comments, corrections? Okay, sorry for going over. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the intercession of the Holy Theotokos, the martyr and apostle St. Paul, hear us when we pray. Thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In the Father's name.